when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, that's when the emotion of love comes in. And it just makes the whole process fun, exciting, actually comes from a place of caring, taking responsibility. And not only does it feel good, it actually works. When you just show up, deliver massive value, use the techniques that are necessary to speak the language that is required for people to understand the value you want to give to them. And that's the art of selling. And I love it. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 932. Today we're talking about selling, which I love to talk about. In fact, we're talking about selling with love. And for that, I thought I'd bring along the author of the book, Selling with Love, Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome. Hey, James. Good to see you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Look, it's been a while since we caught up. I always love our catch-ups. I was telling my wife about what a special person you are. Um, Thinking way back into our history, we've hung out in the Dominican Republic. You were part of Zentrepreneur that Mind Valley was uh, running at that time. We've been in Spain together, which was also great. You're always very generous and kind in our interactions, and uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show to talk about sales today. Well, I'm hoping to continue the trend and share a lot with the (laughs) listeners as well, but yeah, you know, I was thinking about it, James. Uh, that's nine years ago. Wow. So by being nine years, uh, that's almost a decade since we first met. And uh, interestingly enough, the way that I met you was actually because you did a massive act of selling with love when you were at that conference. And that gave you the permission to jump on stage. So I'm hoping we're going to be able to hear from that. Yeah, that's, uh, that was a fun time. What an experience. I still remember that trip vividly. I remember being surrounded with some great friends of mine too. Uh, like Christo and Francisca. And it was, um, wow, it's just like a, that was a pretty amazing experience. And, uh, you know, reading your book, Selling with Love, I've discovered even more in depth about how you were a big part of that program and how it went to the market and how it was sold. So let's start off and get straight to the point. What inspired you to come out with a book of this title? I mean, it's super fascinating to me because I came through a sales channel and I've read a lot of sales books. So it was just one more sales book that I've read in my expansive library of selling books. And I'm wondering what caused you to want to do this book? Yeah, that's a good question to start from because I've also been someone who raised in sales. I've always had a passion and love for sales to a point where most people thought I was weird. They were like, Jason, he just loves selling all the time. What a strange human being, uh, which, you know, I logged in for the title there. But the reason that I love doing it so much is I never had any of those negative beliefs around sales being an evil thing or manipulative thing. I didn't have that many experiences. And quite frankly, some of my first sales experiences were from doing charity runs of selling chocolate in high school. Those are some of the first memories of selling. And I'm thinking, wow, when I offer people chocolate and they give me a couple bucks for it, they're happy. I'm happy. I'm doing it for a good cause. There's something good happening here. So selling makes people happy. And that was kind of like the first anchor belief. But with that, I watched all the clips that show like epic salespeople from television series, whether it's like Mad Men or Glen Gary, Glenn Ross. And I love that. I'd get a kick out of it. I think it's funny. It's empowering. It's fun. And then I, I would pick up a lot of sales books just like you. But the problem is so many good people that are trying to make ethical businesses to do good in the world have completely rejected sales and put it in a bucket of wrong things in the world, right? And as such, they're not picking up a book such as sell or be sold. They're not picking up a book like spin selling or challenger sale. 
like all the good books that have juicy material on understanding the way that we think, the way that our psychology is, this is the books they need, but they're never going to pick it up. So when I realized that I need to find a way to reach out to these ethical businesses to make them understand that sales is a beautiful thing. It's something we all do all the time. And there's a way to do it that can feel authentic, can be done with integrity and can have an impact. And quite frankly, for anybody who wants to start a business, the first thing you'll need is the lifeblood, which is revenue. And the only way to get that is through the sale. So if I can teach you how to sell with love, then you can maybe be open to the idea. And it's funny because the way I start the book is I say, okay, let's put love on the side. That's a heavy word. Let's just see if we could possibly like sales. And if you start understanding that, hey, sales can be fun. I can do it too. And maybe I can get curious enough to start educating myself on the topic. And that was really the big premise around reading the book is how can I kick the butt of the good people to make sure they learn about sales and do more good in the world? I love that. Um, that explains a lot for me because I thought, well, gosh, surely every book on sales has been written. And the fact that you referenced some of my favorite sales books, it's like, oh, I didn't want to feel like I needed to replace the old model and insert the new model, which is what a lot of authors insist upon you doing, especially spin selling. That's pretty much says, hey, listen, all the sales books before now are rubbish. And uh, this is the correct way based on research. So that's good. So you've basically made something that can go to the people who have a resistance or a negative association around selling. I'm wondering if that's partly because of the environment that you're surrounded in. You worked in or work in Mind Valley in some capacity for many, many years. It is into that sort of softer, more emotional space, I guess, is a way that I might think about it. I can somewhat relate because I was asked to prepare a presentation on selling for a blogger community for my friend Darren Rouse. And he said a lot of his creative blogger types had a real resistance to selling. So I actually created this sales training, was called uh, something like How to Sell and Remain Friends. And you know, for me, it was really bizarre that there's this whole bunch of people who hate selling and think it's terribly evil. And when the reality is that everyone is selling all the time, whether they know it or not. And that, as you as quite rightly said, if you're going to be in business, you absolutely have to have to learn how to sell. Any person who you would deem successful, whether they're a an entrepreneur, a billionaire or whatever, they're going to be really good at selling. And when I look around my own industry, the people who get the most sales, the most likes, the most uh, audience reverence, whatever, they're really good at selling themselves at the very least. You have to. And you know, it's not a coincidence that you can see it in your industry. The fact is, it's in every industry. It's <laughs> anywhere you look. Politicians even. you know, Politicians, religious institutions, countries. I mean, any place that you go, a sales component is required. And you could almost look at, at another topic that's not related to sales, but maybe related to love that has that different way of interacting if you decide to embrace it or reject it, which is getting in, in romantic relationships. You know, Some people could look at it and being like, oh my God, all the men, they're bad, cheating, manipulative men or men on the other side could be like, oh, all women, they're all manipulative gold diggers. Like we can just take the whole concept of the relationship, focus on the extreme negatives that we might've been fed through the media or beliefs that we've had because of the bad apples we've had encounters with and strike off the entire topic and being like, yeah, relationships, love's not real. I don't want to get in a romantic relationship and just have that negativity around it. And what happens is you end up alone and not even open to the possibility that you could find a life partner, you could build a life together, and you could come from a place of love. 
And that's maybe a more topical place to use the word love. But when I see the same concept happen in sales, which is uh, all sales are manipulative, slimy, wolf of Wall Street people that are just trying to swindle you in the deal and manipulate you. And it's like, no, no, no. Every like, take a moment. Like, I don't know if you're listening to this while driving or in your home. How are you driving? You probably bought that car. How are you living in this home? You probably bought that house or you signed a lease agreement. Like everything. How are you even listening to this on what device? Is it an iPhone? Is it your laptop? Is it an Android? How did you end up with a device in your hands? It's the result of a sale. Everything that has been created by men is the result of a sale. Or women, I meant mankind. I need to be culturally appropriate to all my listeners. But everything was created by humans through the transaction of a sale. And you know, in my book, I even give it a definition to be more inclusive, which is selling is just an energy exchange between conscious beings or just things moving between two humans. And the premise that I want to bring forward is when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, that's when the emotion of love comes in. And it just makes the whole process fun, exciting, actually comes from a place of caring, taking responsibility. And not only does it feel good, it actually works. When you just show up, deliver massive value, use the techniques that are necessary to speak the language that is required for people to understand the value you want to give to them. And that's the art of selling. And I love it. <laughs> Let's dive in on that um, definition for a minute because I read that. I wrote it down here. An energy exchange between two conscious beings. My first thought was, how does that apply to the last surfboard that I purchased on an online store? And then it arrived to me on a truck. Yeah. Well, first off, I'd have to ask you, are you familiar with the amazing marketing PR author, David Meerman Scott? Yes good man, also a fellow surfboard man. And he speaks a lot about how certain surfboard companies build an entire community culture around the purchase and the entire manufacturing of their surfboards, why they're different. And this whole thing is basically a process of selling. You're putting a creation together that you're proud of, and then you're making it available to people in a way that they'll understand it. You understand your customers enough that you'll speak the language that's necessary for them to know what you're talking about. But in the case of James, James Shramko, going out to look for surfboards, well, you'll end up looking at different companies. They have different you know, values, they have different products. And you know, one of the things I speak about selling with love in the middle is the third love of selling, which is love the product. So for any of the companies that are building these surfboards, you get a feeling for the ones that you know they're building a product they love, the way they speak, the way they offer it, the way they present it. And not only that, the second love of selling is actually how they love the client. So they have a very clear understanding of who is James Schramko, a man over 40, loves surfing, started in his 40s and really fell in love with it, became a part of his lifestyle. And now when he shops for a surfboard, it's not just the cheapest surfboard on the rack. He's going to buy the surfboard that really speaks to his identity, that really resonates with his values, that really is the perfect product for him. And I can see it in your background right now. For those who are watching this on a video, there's a beautiful surfboard in James's background. And that whole purchase experience, was it good or was it bad? Um, you know, it was uncharacteristically good for a digital purchase because I've purchased surfboards in many different ways. And um, one thing is that um, when I spoke to the people, because I had to organize shipping, they were really very excited about it. They were feeling that I'm going to enjoy it and they were excited for me that I've chosen that one. Well, certainly they conveyed that emotion. I don't think it was manufactured because most surf staff 
are not highly sophisticated in the art of selling. <laughs> They're usually people who are drawn to the you know the love of the sport and often commercial or business sides of it are to the sides, if you know what I mean. I've built up quite a network now of people in that surf industry. But it was a good experience and because I purchased it in a place where I'm not, it needed to get shipped up on a truck. And there's actually a specialist company who does that. They just take it, they put it in their truck and then bring it up to you. And when the guy arrived, I said to him, you're like Santa Claus. He goes, oh yes, everyone's frothing when I arrive. And like they're always at home waiting for their board to arrive on the truck. It's like the most exciting. It's like Christmas in May at the time we record this. And then, yeah, there is a whole story around it and the whole feeling of it. From the time you order it, you're mind surfing it and imagining what it's going to be like and how you're going, you know, you're thinking about that first wave you're going to catch on it. And it's really a massive experience. So um, thank you for clarifying that. I thought it was a brilliant answer on why that's an any energy exchange because certainly I had the energy on my side but I was wondering how you classify the website as the conscious being but it's clearly just the conduit between the conscious being who came up with one of those five loves the product side. Well I'd love to add to that because I think of my time even at Mind Valley, where they're doing webinars that are selling thousands of people to buy a digital course. There's absolutely no interaction with a human in the process but for that website to be up humans had to put it together. Mm -hmm. And I'll elaborate as well on like, there's a, the fourth love of selling. And I know I'm jumping around, but we'll bring them up to what's relevant for now is what I call love the process of selling. So this company, they understood you, they understood that had a great product and they actually really love helping people to surf. But that person who was on the other side, when you bought it, they started dancing when you hang up, you know, the enthusiasm was there. And this company was like, you know what? When we hire people from the surfing community, they already are in love with the idea of making somebody surf more, have more fun surfing with their products. So they become naturally enthusiastic. And so oftentimes they say like in sales, you got to be enthusiastic. You got to communicate that and it helps. Well, if you find people that are naturally excited about the difference they're making in people's lives and get to sell a great product, then they're off to a good start. Now, the process of selling is like, hey, how do I reach more people more fast? The whole website, the design, the experience, the live chat, the call here, the checkout page, the optimization. You know, when I worked in online marketing with Mindvalley, all of that took care, was engineered for maximum conversion. And on the other side, as a launch manager, for example, I could generate a million dollars from building a whole campaign of people buying digital products. And everything I took care of, like, all right, I got to make sure everything's on time, copy's good, headline's perfect, because if I optimize the headline, then I know I can get, you know, let's say 3% optimization in total sales, which means I'm going to sell to three extra customers and make a couple more thousand dollars. That's important because every energy that I put into optimizing this launch in the best way possible is more lives that I get to affect when they ultimately buy an amazing product that'll change their lives. So the whole process of selling, when you fall in love and understand the impact that you make from every little thing, I put an exit pop-up and that increased sales, which means a couple of people that might've been on the fence now decided to stay, took a coupon and made the purchase. I'm transforming people. I'm really making a difference. But the problem is some people just focus on that and skip the first three loves of selling. And that's a dangerous place because I can learn everything around maximizing sales, maximizing conversions. I mean, James, you have a background in sales too. If someone gives you a phone book of qualified leads, and promise you that what you're selling is good, you would probably be unstoppable making those phone calls without knowing anything. 
And that's where you can see a lot of the, call it the dark arts or the Sith Lords of sales, is you can learn human psychology and be really powerful. But one of the things I do in the book is lay out a few different loves. And I say, start with the first three, which is love the impact and be aware of the impact of every sale you make. Love the client and understand them and love the product. So you know, you're delivering something awesome. Once that is clear, then be relentless and go and make those sales calls. Go and optimize that website. Do what is necessary to convert because it's not manipulation. It's empathy. It's you speaking a language that's necessary for people to understand the impact that you want to make to specific people with a great product. And so that's a bit of the premise. I would argue that it's still manipulation, but it's with a good values basis. I would translate manipulation to empathy with one difference, which is intent, but good manipulations. I like it. Well, I'm thinking like a brain surgeon, they manipulate the scalpel to, to save your life, you know, a heart surgeon. So I, I don't have any issue with manipulation. I think to your point, Earlier, a lot of people have experienced negative manipulation where someone's manipulated you for their reasons, not for yours. It was definitely an energy exchange between two conscious beings, but it wasn't with positive intent, which is why I really prefer the sales definition from spin selling, that the process of change from one situation to a better alternative situation. That's what I think selling should be. And that was what was my North Star when I was selling. Like the prime filter was always this, will my customer be better off? If it's yes, then I'm all in. If it's no, then I'm going to let them know right now because that's a deal breaker. That's a no sale. And I think that, that fundamental belief system, I like your fifth love number five, love yourself. Because I felt It'll be hard to sleep well at night or to feel good about leading people off a cliff or manipulating them for my own gain and for them to be worse off. And some people, like you said, uh, a lot of narcissists and sociopaths end up in selling. (laughs) And, you know, the industry perpetuates negative terms like tripwire, for example. You talk about that too. And there are alternative ways to frame things. But I guess if we're going to wrap this sort of whole concept up, I think what you're bringing to the table is a book saying, you know what, we've all had negative sales experiences. We've all had positive experiences. If you are going to sell and you're going to have to, you might as well do it with some values. And here's a nice way to think about it so that you can feel good. And I want to hit you with this line and get your reaction. Some people are selfish by not charging enough. Yeah, I speak about that. What do you mean by that? I speak about that in the book. I think that's even part of the introduction. It is. It's, well, it's in the introduction, but it's also further down the track when you were pitching Zentrepreneur to Fission because they'd come in at a, at a lower price than what the market would expect or sustain, as it turned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what happens is when you lower your price too low, right, then you don't have as much budget to play with to truly deliver a solution that might be perfect for that person. So you're actually underserving the industry. And there's a different emotion that comes by. Like if you've ever had somebody that was just a, like, let's look at the example where you have a customer that walks in and they're like trying to negotiate you for every damn penny. Like you're already getting a negative vibe. And, you know, if they're doing it in a way to just try to squeeze you as much as possible on your price, then you might agree to the deal, but you're not going to come from a place of excitement, abundance. You're going to come from a place of like necessity. And you might deliver the service, but you'll have a bit of resentment because they squeezed you on the deal. You're not going to put your best foot forward. And what I've noticed is like when you go out and you put yourself out there and you realize, okay, the market can sustain this price. 
I know I can deliver so much value. So I will charge the maximum possible. So I can create, call it a buffer to be able to go above and beyond and truly deliver the solution to their problems and not try to nickel and dime on delivering the value because you tried to bring your price down as much as possible. And I think when I, I use the example of Zentrepreneur, you know, we looked at what people wanted and you couldn't afford providing it to them. You couldn't solve their true needs because you just didn't have the budget for it anymore. People wanted to have more facilitated connection. They want to have bigger events, more frequent meeting. And it's like, well, if I'm just charging you know, $500, I can't do any of that. And now I'm not even the right solution to solve the problem. And the biggest thing I see is for people that are maybe getting started, feeling insecure about their product and service, it seems to be the default answer. It's like, well, I'll just cut my price and, and then maybe it'll convert. But the price is always a resistance that's in the mind of the seller, not the buyer. The buyer has a particular problem that they won't solve. They have a feeling of how much value it would bring into their life if that was solved. They don't want a discount. They want more confidence that what money they're going to put in is truly going to get rid of that problem. And so I often suggest people the opposite is if you feel like you want to give yourself a discount, imagine your solution was like 10 times more and instead be creative on if I had something that was selling for 10 times more, what could I include and throw in so I'd actually feel good about selling it? So it allows you to kind of step out of the current package of the product you're selling and become a bit more creative about ways you could improve. And oftentimes you'll start realizing, hey, maybe there's a couple of these things that I thought about I could integrate in my product now. Maybe it's a better onboarding. Maybe it's a better way of communicating. Maybe it's a better guarantee. A lot of times these are things you can package around your product to ensure you can charge the most possible because you really want to solve their problem. We're trying to do energy exchange. And again, if you know what you're offering is so much more than what you ask in return, you're trying to make the biggest offer possible and make that energy exchange happen because that's what actually starts solving this real problem in the world. Yeah, it's often the people who are a little bit underconfident, you know, coming to the market, they'll tend to charge less. But then I, we get this vicious cycle. It might be, hey, look, you need to build out teams so you're not doing absolutely everything. Oh, I can't afford that. Or you need to you need to run some marketing to increase your deal flow. I can't afford that. So it's this spiraling negative cycle of low prices, can't deliver. And in fact, people do place a perception on how much they pay. It's like they pay and they pay attention in some ways. The other classic uh, scenario is where people are so blind to their skill. It's so easy and effortless for them. They actually discount what it took for them to get it or just how naturally gifted they are. And they tend to not place the value in it that someone else would. They don't see it as that valuable, so they put a lower price on what other people would be prepared to pay. And especially when you're talking about specialists or technicians, it's really common for them to not factor the fact that they went to university for four or five years, that they've spent 10 years going to courses and learning in the trenches to be able to have this skill or this knowledge. It might be a good time then to go through the five loves because... That will sort of build an argument for how this works. The first of the loves, of course, being impact. And that's probably what we're talking about here. What kind of impact can you have for that buyer? And how can you, beyond that, I like the exercise you do. How does that impact go beyond just that first customer? And where are they going to spend the money? And what is the actual world resulting in as as a result of that deal flow? Yeah. I mean, this is one that I love speaking about because oftentimes we forget what the ripple or the wave is from every sale that we make, right? You know, the example of throw a pebble in a lake 
and you'll have a little impact point, but then the whole ripple starts actually creating movement all around. And when you get to take time to slow down and look at it, you actually will feel a lot more excited about every sale that you make. And it'll probably build your marketing material, fill up your about us page in the same process, if that's something you've ever struggled with. But if you're going out there and for example, we're talking about surfboards and I love thinking about that because you know this company, when they decide to sell to an individual, we kind of already talked about all the joy that it brought you, the fact that you can go out and surf and you can go and have fun. And for you, it provides you a great hobby, fitness, peace of mind, freedom, lifestyle. All of it is amazing impact for you. And those are amazing things you get to experience when you have a proper surfboard to be able to do it. But if you look at the ripple, it's like, wow, when you have someone like James that's in flow going out and surfing all the time, he gets to show up for business. And he gets to actually keep working on his business, feeling good about working on his business and actually start impacting more lives and be able to do his podcast and be able to create his amazing products with the most abundant mindset to be able to tap into states of flow, which means he's able to do a ripple from everything that he does because he's able to go and do his surfing. But it goes even beyond that. Perhaps for this surfboard company, they know that the whole world is moving too fast and people are rushing and cutting corners and you know, just coming from a negative vibe. If so many more people would take the time, including me, James keeps kicking my butt telling me I'm not surfing enough as I live in Bali, but this company is probably thinking, if we could get every person in the world to just go out and slow down, go and enjoy the waves, feel more connected with nature, and just have this experience of being in flow, we'd see a lot less people being stressed out, burned out, feeling anxiety, feeling depressed. So we're going to go and try to put a surfboard under every feet that we can of somebody that might potentially be considering it and make sure they have damn good fun doing it. That's an example of thinking laterally about like, what is the ripples that'll happen? Like, quite frankly, I think if every single human would take time in the morning to go out and surf, spend time in the water, relax, feel a wave, maybe not even catch a wave, but just have that meditative experience that happens when you go surfing, maybe we'd be less at each other's throat. Maybe we'd be a little more chill. And maybe that's what the world needs right now. So if I'm somebody who's building this company of surfboards and I'm aware of the ripple that happens every time I get more people to consider surfing and have more fun doing it, then I'm excited to sell my surfboards. I'm excited to tell my sales reps that, hey, we're bringing a world that's going to be a lot more chill, a lot more functional, a lot less stressful, and we're doing it one surfer at a time. So let's get it. Let's get on the phones. Let's build that website. Let's make things happen. Now you have that flow, that energy that not only the founder, but the team gets excited about. And if you're going to their website and they're saying, we're trying to chill out this overcooked planet, Make sure a lot more people are going out surfing, including you. And if you're going to go surf, you might as well have the best experience with this amazing surfboard. You're like, hell yeah, I'm on board with this mission. Yeah, that's a great vision. And now you see your About Us page is being put together because you decide to step back and say, what's the ripple? If I'm selling this product or service to thousands, millions of people, what's the ripple? And you get curious, you have fun, you do it as a brainstorm exercise, and you're like, well, hell, I need to go out there and sell. Yeah, oh, that's so not the surf industry. <laughs> it reminds me of the Patagonia book, uh, Let My People Surf. There you go. Which is great. But yes, look, if we all surfed, then we'd all be at each other's throats because it's already crowded as it is. I'm, I'm not advocating that anyone takes up surfing whatsoever. Just, it's fine. <laughs> There's not enough waves for all the people? And I don't kick your butt to surf. I'm just curious if you've fallen for it. You know? I haven't taken the bait. I totally get if you don't. No, this surfboard company is... The guy is just an artist and he creates and refines and documents his R&D 
for himself. He's not a big commercial operation. They're, they're tiny. They're by hand. Then there's the big evil Darth Vader style companies who are bulk manufacturing in Thailand. The people who make the boards have never touched the water. It's a full commercial machine and they're just popping out boards that are just like the pro surf and selling them to anyone who's got some cash. It's what you just talked about sounds so alien. <laughs> it's fascinating. Well, James, I'm so excited that I call it quote unquote, mess this up because what happens is I don't have the second love for your industry. Yeah, it's true. I mean, what you see is um, there's a massive battle between the people who hand shape the boards and make boards for locals uh, at war with the mass producers. The only benefit of the mass producers is that they're making some environmentally friendly materials because it's an ultra toxic industry. The stuff they're manufacturing will never decompose or be recycled. So um, I wouldn't say you mess it up, but you're true. So let's talk about the five love number two, the client. And that's knowing who your customer is. And probably one of the real jewels in your book, I think, is taking those great customer stories and documenting them. It's certainly been a pillar for my podcast and a way for me to generate great future customers is to exemplify people who are a good fit and what sort of results they got and how that transformation happened. I guess putting a spotlight on that energy exchange that's happened and people who recognize that or relate to it move towards it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when I give the example of impact, you know, the customer that I was imagining was me, mm. which is not you. No. I think you're the most... Uh, chilled hippie state relaxed guest i've had for a long time you're in a bubble no doubt about it living in bali's transformed hey, you <laughs> you know it is it is a vibe right it's a vibe for sure it's interesting because what you were talking about were the values that were important to you and this company attracts people like you and the reason they'd be able to do that is they do have a love for the client mm. and the way to show love to the client which is the second love in selling is to understand them so things that I picked up in your conversation was like handmade. The people that are making the boards are actually getting a chance to surf. They're not the toxic devil industry. That's something I look for. I, I want my shaper to surf. There you go. I want them to surf because I want them R&Ding. I want them to make products that work better. But James, you're going to pay more for your board. Aren't you trying to save money? The first board I bought from this people was funny. I bought it online and the guy dropped it off himself in his van. And he said, listen, we had a showroom uh, event and the, it fell over and it's been repaired. So I'm going to throw in this fin. I didn't even know it doesn't come with a fin because most of the boards I bought then came with a fin. So he gave me a fin and uh, I said, does it have anywhere for the leg rope to go? He goes, uh, no, nah, hang on. And he just sort of cut a bit of rope and made it. But this guy was, he was really on the artist spectrum of he's not a commercial operator whatsoever. I don't think they actually care too much about the sales experience. I think they just want to make art and fund their own trips to Morocco and stuff. Yeah. And the artists are the one that I find are the most fun to work with because mm. they can do it in some way subconsciously. But when you bring it to their awareness, at least they can highlight the stories like the purchase. Like I don't know if they highlight the story of when he went in a van to James's house. Yeah, they don't do that. But what they do is they film their sessions in Morocco and they put that on Vimeo. And what I do know about surfers is they will watch and watch and watch and consume content until their visualization becomes irresistible and they have to purchase. So this is what happens. That's how it works. When you're in your business and you want to be able to understand the customer, these are the kind of behaviors you'd be starting to analyze. 
Where do they consume content? What content do they consume? Where are they hanging out? Why are they even surfing? What got them started? How do they shop for surfboards? And I know we're picking on this example, but it's a fun one to pick on. Mm. But this is where you get so curious about who's the customers you want to serve. And you've had an idea. You've started with the impact because there's something you're trying to change in the world. There's something you're trying to create in the world. There's a problem you're looking to solve. And that should be the place you start. And the second place you go to is, well, who has this problem and who am I going to go and solve it for? And that's why understanding the client, getting so curious about them. And you know, in more traditional terms, we'll say like, go get your buyer persona, create your client avatar. It's the same thing. I'm just saying that this is a way of showing empathy, connecting, understanding, and get curious. Because the more you get to be so specific on understanding them, this is when you're going to be able to have effortless copy flow from your fingers. You're going to be able to speak the right language in any video that you create because you'll be speaking to them like you know them better than they know themselves. And that's when you start getting inside people's heads and going like, wow, they understand me. You know, what is it? Stephen Covey's book who says like, before trying to be understood, you should seek to understand others first. Well, this is true in business too. So go out, love the client. And the biggest problem that I typically see, especially with people that get started is I can help everyone. You know, even this artist surfboard company, they're like, oh, you know, actually, to be honest, they're probably really ahead of the curve. They're probably like, yeah, no, we don't want to serve everyone. I'd say they're almost to the extent where they're trying pretty hard to attract people who have to fight their way into purchase. So that they've really identified this counterculture. They're basically still operating like the surfing counterculture of the 60s or 70s when surfers were just deviates doing their own thing and evading conscription. <laughs> so they are probably legends to those customers. I've got four of their boards, so that's probably a good indicator, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I rest my case, your honor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is really interesting, right? The more specific you get on choosing a target market, mm. the more expensive you can make your product, the better you can make it for their exact needs. And I don't know about what's your typical listener, James, here, but if I'm assuming they're into digital marketing in some capacity, would that be an accurate statement? Oh, yeah, like the bulk of people listening to this show are online marketing and they're usually intermediate to it advanced level. It's fascinating who listens to this show. There you go. Lots of the gurus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you gurus. They're going to like the tripwire one. Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> the welcome mat, right? The welcome mat. See, it's, a, it's the way you talk about stuff. I think that for me in my sales career was relabeling things in a way that suits your values was such a huge thing because I can't even speak of the atrocities of the way that the salespeople would treat the customer when I started in the sales career. They had terrible names for customers and uh, the processes. TWAs? Well, everyone, yeah, th that wasn't one, but I read what that is in your book. Um, <laughs> That's the anchor to get people to get the book. <laughs> but they had a version of it. They had, you know, in the car industry, they would come up with terms like tire kickers. But if there was someone outside in the yard, they would call them heads. They would say, there's a head out there. That's like, that's a very inhumane way to describe someone who might be about to make a purchase of a 50, 60, $80,000 vehicle. They, uh, you know, they're head on the lot. And I had to, basically, I would, uh, I just had to rewire and interpret everything that people were saying into a way that made it much more suitable for me. I would, I would think of that as an opportunity. There's someone who has a motoring problem that needs solving. So I would like to, you know, I'd go out and find out what's wrong that's caused them to be in our showroom and see if I can find the right solution. I was just in problem solving mode. Nah. And I've always approached that. I just solve problems. 
that's been the way I've made my living. And that's the ultimate way that I'm hoping to inspire some of the listeners to apply in the way that they sell. You know, there's one that I find is really fun. You know how we talk about closing deals mm. and a reframing of that is opening accounts, right? Well, I used to say, it, I actually literally say to the customer, like a lot of people think, you know, see this part as the end of the transaction. You know, it's when I was handing over the car and I say, but I really think of this as the beginning of our relationship. So I'm going to be in touch with you. I'm going to certainly check in on you in the next day or so and just answer any questions you might have about, you know, the controls of the car or whatever. And then I'm going to be in touch with you. And if it's all right with you, I'll let you know. And I think it's the right time for you to change vehicles in terms of where your finance is at and where the value of the car is at versus what's new. Because you might find yourself in a situation where you could actually be paying even a little bit less per month to upgrade to a brand new vehicle. So if that's all right with you, I'll stay in touch. They're like, absolutely. And I did. And it was like um, two years later, 40% of my business was repeat and referral. But often they would send their wife in the next week or their business partner. Like it was quite unusual for this to happen. But I hate the word closing. That's where almost all sales training focuses on how to be a great closer. Try being a good listener. Try understanding your customer better. Work on having a better match of the solution you're offering to the problem the customer has. Yeah. These things would really help the deal. You know, and then it closes itself. They're like, when can I have it? You know, can I get it in this color? Or are you available now if I can start? Or, you know, will you accept me into your program? These are the questions people ask. I find it funny and I make a reference to this in the book as well. It's like, imagine just buying the book, which is like, create the ultimate proposal to have any woman say yes to marriage. You know, just focus on like, okay, you got to get on the left knee, not the right knee. And you have to hold the box at exactly this height and open it with a two second delay. And you just optimize the act of asking, will you marry me? And if you optimize this close, then you're going to be able to find the ultimate partner. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. There's a whole lot more that happens than just the close. (laughs) You need 67 (laughs) tricky defense words that um, get it back on track when they say no. How to handle any objection when the woman that you yes. propose to says no with these psychological tricks. <laughs> yes, but, but I don't even know your name. I've never met you before in my entire life. Yes, but don't you worry about that for now. I'm sure we'll have more than enough time to get to know each other. In our- <laughs> Nonsense. We're connected spiritually and energetically. Names are just a construct. <laughs> See, I am in Bali, ain't I? Yes, you are. And it is a great way to illustrate how ridiculous it is to think that the whole of a sale comes on the last part. It's like that part should be the fate complete. That should take care of itself if you've done the early part right. Let's talk about product for a second because that's your third love. You've talked about a brainstorming process you do where you just kind of go a little bit over the top, just like thinking about how the product can solve the problem in, in every possible dimension that might eventually be reined back. Yeah. So I I alluded to it a bit by multiplying the price by 10, but it's interesting. I work with clients oftentimes when it comes to the product and love the product means, you know, don't fake it till you make it, which is the line that I hate in the industry. I rather say, don't fake it, just make it like make the best product possible for where you're at right now. And oftentimes we're actually close-minded to what could be a possible product because we're so focused on our capabilities as opposed to being focused on the problems we truly want to solve for the client. And so by changing the price point at various levels, it actually starts making you go like, oh, maybe there's different ways I can deliver this based on the type of customer that I choose. So I don't know if most people here might be having like a $300 program 
maybe like $300 coaching session. Like I'll use that as an anchor price, but I start saying, okay, imagine you had that same product or not exactly that same product, but you have a $3,000 offer. Like imagine now it's 10 times more. What could you offer for $3,000 where you would feel comfortable solving a big problem for a specific type of customer? And then you start realizing like, okay, well, is it even possible that someone with this problem would be open to paying 3000 And if so, how would it be delivered? What would be included? Am I changing the target market in the process of doing this? Am I adding features and benefits to the product? Am I including more things? Do I need strategic partners I could deliver this with? You just start being much more open because you're not tied to your capabilities because it seems out there. And if I'm really being crazy with somebody, I'll say, well, let's add another zero. Now imagine that it's 30,000. And so someone who might have, let's say, a product on teaching online marketing, then you could say, oh, wow, if it was 30,000, well, maybe this is a full implementation workshop for a you know, million dollar company. Plus I'm flying into their office. I'm working with their team. I'm giving them a full support for three months. Maybe that's it. But you start having creativity and it kind of opens you to say, hey, there's a lot of different ways that I can solve this problem. Now I just need to see which one's going to have the best product market fit. But across the line, I'm not thinking about discounts. I'm not trying to like maximize and you know, bend towards the insecurities that I have. You open yourself up to possibility. Then you pull in the reins back and you're like, okay, well, which one is going to make the most sense for me to deliver? And you've just brainstormed a bunch of ideas. Now you start seeing which ones work and you might realize that your price point needs to be completely different because you pulled some ideas from here and there and package them together. One of the things I love about this exercise, particularly for people that only have one product, is you often speak about you know, tools of persuasion or influence for those who are a big fan of that book. It's always great to have a really expensive product next to your core offer. And so if someone comes in, they're like, oh my God, James, he's got this $30,000 package. Well, maybe I'm not ready for that amount of value, but this 3000 sounds like a good deal. And then here we go. You're actually helping convert more people to solve a problem in the way that fits their way. And if someone decides to want to send you a $30,000 check, well, maybe I'll have a conversation with them and maybe there's something I can do for them. Yeah, well, that's, that's great because I'm sure as you were talking about the high package already, people are starting to think, oh, I couldn't offer that. That's too much. But I like this rule of thumb that 10% of your audience would pay 10 times more. And that's certainly been true for me. I've got 10% of my um, general forum volume in my higher ticket program, which is like 10 times more. It actually parlays. And then my partnerships are, again, 10% less people paying 10 times more over the lifetime customer value. Another little handy tip that you had in there that was pretty subtle, but it's very important. And you talk about the sale after the sale. Yeah. Again, we're kind of touching on how we're saying we are not closing deals. We're opening accounts. We're starting relationships. And we're very obsessed with optimizing the sale up to the point that people buy the product. But there's so much you can do to the product of saying like the moment they have purchased, what's that experience like? What's that funnel like? What's that conversion system looking like. And now it's not necessarily a conversion for money, although quite frankly, it's more than likely going to increase your lifetime value with that customer, but pay it no mind for now. Think about conversion as how does it actually start applying the product to truly solve the problem? So you can optimize that product just like you would optimize your marketing funnel, but this would be something that ensures that the person really gets the transformation that they paid for. You're kind of making an easy button for that transformation to happen. So what's the onboarding? And what is the welcome messaging? What are ways that you're providing support? Just like with the way that we bought the surfboard earlier, it's like, okay, well, there was a logistics company that was involved. Was it easy to find? Was it made accessible to you? 
Was there a live chat? Could you have a conversation? Are you making sure to get out of the way when the person has made the purchase? Take out of the way anything that would resist them actually having the experience with the product that actually solves the problem. And that's something we should spend more time on because we're so obsessed with some of the traffic and conversion metrics. There's such an optimization we can do on the other side, which will bring more referrals and you get to attract the crazies who buy four surfboards. And that's a great customer lifetime value. <laughs> well, yes, the affectionados. As a result, you know, what I will end up doing is making a review of the board. It'll be customer driven, perpetuating more future business for them. Because the one main thought I had when I went for my first surf on it yesterday was, oh my God, you know, people are just wasting their surfing life, riding these pro pop out thrusters, six foot thruster. Everyone's got a six two thruster or six foot thruster and they're just they're not experiencing what's possible from riding a, a different type of craft. And, you know, this is something that I think is it's hidden to most people. It's like the bulk of the population are just completely not aware of it. I would do it not to encourage everyone to go and buy one of these things, but to say, you know what, I want to do a hat tip to the manufacturer and say, this is good stuff. You've done a good job. So just a quick recap, the five loves, impact, client, product, process, and yourself. Of course, the book we've been talking about here is Selling with Love, and that's at sellingwithlove.com is your website there, Jason Mark Campbell where we can go and learn about this. We'll put these frameworks up here on episode 932 on jamesramco.com. I love your redefinition of ABC. It's gone from always be closing to always be caring. Caring is probably the way that I would describe you to someone who asks me, what's this Jason all about? I say he's a nice guy. He really cares about people. He's uh, a good person. These attributes come through with the way that you present to the world. So I appreciate that. And uh, thank you so much for coming along and sharing uh, on this episode. Uh, it was a pleasure, James. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully I've inspired a few people to uh, go out there and sell like your life depended on it. And that's it. And, and your life really does, to some extent, depend on it. The ability that you have to sell is going to dictate the quality of your life. I've probably been blind to this. If you've had a hang up with selling, you. if you're not confident with selling, then I think this is the book for you. And Jason's come into your life at this time with this book to get you onto the next part of that journey. So I really appreciate it. I'll be looking for any sort of comments or feedback from this episode. If you've listened to this episode, gone out, read the book and it's transformed you, come back and post a comment on it. Episode number 932 at com. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, also if you've got questions for Jason, post them too. I'll, I'll get him back. <laughs> All right. Love it. Thank you so much. This is James Shramko. 